0: Support for Oyster World Radio comes from you, our listeners. If you'd like to support the show, visit the link in the show description or visit patreon.com forward slash For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind-the-scenes coverage of how these random interviews materialize, plus travel tips. So don't miss out and support the show today. More support means meeting more people that you would normally never meet, less travel headaches while on the road, and you get to learn the ins and outs of everywhere I go. Become a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash and support the show today.
1: Welcome to Oyster World.
2: Quicking Feldang Oyster World
0: Hot
1: Islands. Oyster. This is Oyster Radio.
0: Hello, oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World, radio the podcast where we broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and in this episode we bring on Artie Shamsunder. Arti was an old roommate of Jackie's in college, but this time we find ourselves on the other side of the world in Bangalore, India. This city is absolutely massive and buzzing with a New York-type seriousness, and among the delicious dosa the street is always full with daily commuters and the occasional traffic jam from a wandering cow. It's a bit chaotic, but today we are going to zoom in on Artie and find out what life is like in an Indian city and in India as a whole. So grab some fresh-made South Indian dosa, sit back, and enjoy my conversation with Artie Samchunda.
1: So Artie, welcome to Oyster World Radio. We're very excited to have you on, and we're in the wonderful (laughs) city of Bangalore, India. Welcome to the show. How are you doing?
2: Thank you so much, Nate. I'm very excited and honored that you want to have no, I don't know me about on this. Honored, I'm
1: honored to have you on. And you were very kind enough to set up most of our India tour, the India segment, which has been a wonderful experience for me and Jackie. And
2: My pleasure, and I said this, and I mean it.
1: Yeah, and I didn't. Jackie mentioned that you guys were roommates back, mm-hmm. so you're now in India, but at one point you were back in the U.S. studying mm-hmm. with Jackie at the same school. Yes, and it's such a weird coincidence. Here's travel <laughs> for you, just bringing people back together.
2: Exactly. In a
1: whole different part of the world. <laughs> and I'm excited to get to know you better, have the listeners get to know you better and figure out how you've been living.
2: Well, thank you so much. Well, Thanks to technology. We've stayed connected, kind of, but this has really been a blessing for all of us. So thank you for visiting.
1: I know. I don't, this has been such a highlight to get to know you Yay. and get to know and hear all the stories about Jackie, <laughs> which is always a plus.
2: Ditto. And everything that's <laughs> happened since the last time I saw her, yeah, which was 10 like years ago.
1: 10 years ago was the last time you guys saw mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool that we get to meet up again. Okay. Indeed. So before we start rambling on, let's get to you and your story. Okay. And now we have to go all the way back to the very beginning, and how <laughs> you grew up once upon a time. <laughs> now, come on, it's not that long ago. But mm. you grew up here, not here in Bangalore, but in a the bigger city of Bombay, India, which That's can you right. tell us exactly where Bombay is in India? Because sure. this place is huge.
2: This place is huge. So Bombay is on the west coast of India, so it's just under the central line, if you want to think of dividing India in half gotcha. horizontally. So it's just below the middle of it so, on the west.
1: Yeah, on the west coast in, mm-hmm. this, in the center. And how many people do you think live in Bombay?
2: <sighs> I think by now it's probably 18, 20 million.
1: 18 to 20 million <laughs> people. That's just hard to wrap my head around <laughs> yes. that number. I don't think, I don't even think Columbus has a million people. So it's <laughs> like 20 times bigger than the city that is I basically grew up in. Yeah, like it's Cincinnati.
2: probably what a. a fifth of the population of the United States, maybe? <laughs> or no. more? Or?
1: We have 300 million people 300 in the U.S. Million. Okay, so, so that's a lot. More yeah, than but I thought. that's a, that's a good chunk a you chunk. know the, the 20 million is not a small chunk of people it's <laughs> more a lot than of our biggest population. countries yeah it's, it's more more than yeah it's, bigger it's than most country.
2: countries yes it's its own country it that's feels like insane. it
1: <laughs> so you grew up in this massive city or mm-hmm. a little bit outside so you were in the in the mm-hmm. suburbs mm-hmm. but what was what was it like so I w- we were going around India for mm-hmm. the last week and mm-hmm. being able to see some of the cities. Bangalore is huge. Mm-hmm. And we also saw Mysore, which was a little bit smaller, but still a bustling city. Was And you grew up more of a city, not a suburb of, of Bombay. Was it still right. that bustling, <laughs> traffic, crazy, lots of stuff going on, or was it a little bit quieter? What was it like growing up?
2: It was a little bit of both. So um, even today where I grew up, is it's a little quieter. You know, people still have these communities people live in uh, apartment complexes and everyone knows each other and you know so it has that community spirit mm-hmm. but uh, it's still bustling it still has so bombay to me the hallmark of that city is its fast pace yeah. and its work ethic people are like no nonsense get things done um, not at all lazy, you know. Business thrives in Bombay, and
1: gotcha.
2: that's you know the spirit that we grew up with. Even as kids, we felt that energy. So it's almost like a New York work. equivalent. It's very similar. So when I first went to New York, I felt like this was this reminded me of home.
1: Okay, okay.
2: Including the like dirty bus stations and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the subway stops were just like the train stations back in right Bombay. down <laughs>
1: to the the subways yes. in the in the. <laughs> In the bus station. Okay, but you said that it was almost instilled in you as kids. Mm -hmm. So does that mean, were you really busy as a kid? Did you have a lot of activities? or
2: Yeah, yeah, this throws me back. So I think partly because of who I was, but also partly because of my upbringing, I ended up being exposed to a lot of things. So I remember at one point I was going to like a drawing class and a dance class, music. I grew up with... learning carnatic music which is south indian classical music yeah and i hated going to class for it <laughs> and practice like it like every kid well, yeah. but now i'm so in love with that music so it's a gift that you know took its time <laughs> coming yeah. to me but now i go to concerts on my own and i'm just so blessed to have that uh, so yeah i was a busy kid i was growing all these things i would go out to play with my friends school homework after a certain point Kids started going to uh, coaching classes when you're like in your ninth grade, you want to do well in your 10th grade because that's a huge milestone year.
1: Okay. So lots of tests.
2: Lots of tests and important tests that would determine which college you got to join and so Uh, on. Okay. So there was, there is still this huge pressure on kids to do well in school. So yeah, I was a pretty busy (laughs) child. So you were always
1: (laughs) moving, going to dance, going to music class. Yeah. Which sounds uh, pretty similar to suburb life in the U.S. where kids are doing piano classes and soccer and baseball and (laughs) whatever else they decide to do.
2: It's pretty much the parents that are busy, right? Taking you to Uh, all this. It's it's really
1: (laughs) a load on the parents. Yes. Do you think that's normal for all? Because India is so diverse. and I didn't realize that not only is there so many different cultures languages Mm -hmm. there's language barriers within the own country Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. each state has its own customs Mm -hmm. and just everything is different do do you think it's widespread that there's i guess a busyness because we have a lot of stereotypes about india Mm -hmm. um, outside of india of course that everywhere is very uh, school driven career driven but is that true is that
2: ah what a great (laughs) question i i think nothing You can't generalize anything about anything in India. So I would say that to start with. Um, But there is, I think one thing that is true is this pressure to succeed in school, especially in sort of urban middle class homes, Mm -hmm. because you're having this constant striving to overcome your circumstances and do better than your peers and succeed financially, ultimately. And education is seen as the way to succeed in your career. So there is definitely... I think that pressure you can feel in most homes like mine across the country, regardless of language or region or religion. So it's more of a class thing, I think, than other kinds of background. Gotcha. But there are still people... I mean, most places are more laid back than Bombay in terms of the energy and the other stuff. Like, Mm. especially... In the work life, the business part of life, not as a kid, other cities are not as fast paced or gotcha. busy. Yeah.
1: And I, I love what you said that you can't generalize anything about <laughs> India and it's so true. It's true. Oh my God. It's just the language barriers that we ran into just, mm-hmm. you think Hindi is the national language where people are speaking Canada and mm-hmm. just like there's another language just a couple miles this way. Yes. It's absolutely. <laughs> no sense. But I, I definitely relate to that pressure to succeed. Mm-hmm. And you hear it, a lot of my Indian friends back home will say that too. It's mm. it's very but it's also very true in the US that we have mm. this pressure to compete against each other mm. and we need to get better and we're we're pushed into certain things and to always be doing activities and always building our resumes and right, to, to right. keep building, keep building.
2: And, and like I think we were talking about this yesterday at lunch, about this paradox where there's this there's this pressure on the individual to succeed, but India is still a very community, relationship-building sort of culture. So there's mm-hmm. that focus on, um, what's the word? Collectivistic sort of attitudes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's a focus on individual success.
1: Yeah, that is really because I, I, I think... Asian cultures or mm-hmm. East cultures definitely have more of a community aspect. And mm-hmm. this is more of a middle mm. because West is definitely more individualistic, mm-hmm. especially small family units at mm-hmm. most. Like you take care of the family, but not the community. Like the community is there, but it's not as strong as the yeah. East. And I think in India, it's almost a combination.
2: It is a combination. And that's what makes it such a paradox and so interesting to me because it ends up pressuring young people especially so if you see the newspapers there's stories about 15 year olds committing suicide because they didn't do so well in school yeah i think that's a very urban indian problem yeah uh, again it probably happens in many places but with much greater frequency here yeah because they're facing that pressure to do well for themselves and to show you know to not lose face yeah with their community
1: yeah and especially with high stakes test Mm -hmm. situations Mm -hmm. where when you're that age it just seems like the end of the world my future is shot I can't do anything I'm gonna be homeless on the street I don't Mm -hmm. know what to
2: do I was talking to someone who said she got a 98th percentile right so that means only two percent of everyone who took that test did better than her and she still didn't get her choice of Schools to join, Holy <laughs> like crap. colleges to join. Yeah,
1: <laughs> she was in the 98th percentile, yeah. so it very yeah. So you tough. can
2: see the like the good programs are super selective. They really want the creme de la creme, and if you're not in the top two percent, you have to settle for less than right. So for gotcha. a mediocre sort of, or maybe function. even
1: perceived less than.
2: Yes, right? exactly. Very true. Very true. So mm-hmm.
1: it. And to get back to your story, Mm. I find that really interesting because you did well in school, Mm -hmm. but there is this pressure to succeed and then the community wants to push you. There's a lot of societal factors that want you to go and have a more, quote-unquote, prestigious career. Mm -hmm. Lawyers, doctors, engineers, stuff like that. But that wasn't you. So you grew up on the the suburbs of Bombay and then Mm -hmm. you decided to go to school in Bombay. And Mm -hmm. that's when things really started To pick up for you, but I think a really important choice that you had is to not take the normal route, which you could have. You had the grace to do so. Yes. you decided to do psychology instead because you were interested in that.
2: Exactly. Now,
1: how is that – because this is so hard. The more people I talk to from all over the world, it's this pivotal moment that Mm. really can, I don't know, Mm. cause people to even go to suicide, like you said, Mm. or – get lost and mm. try to find themselves or get stuck mm. in a career that they don't like because of money mm. or people pushing them. So how did mm. you not only realize that you liked psychology, but maybe fight the pressures from your community, maybe even your parents, mm. to go do something like engineering?
2: Um, so I felt the pressure from society. So it was more of this, this idea of, a, of pressure. But my parents were... More practical so they wanted me to do well they wanted me to do something that would end up in a good career Mm -hmm. but at the same time they always always had my happiness uh, as their priority so in a way I had their support yeah which allowed me to pick this path so uh, I ended up doing this almost by process of elimination I saw people like my brother my cousins my dad are all engineers so I saw them and you know what they were doing didn't interest me a whole lot and I thought that was just too much hard work for something that didn't interest me. Absolutely true, yeah. <laughs> and the other option at the time was to go um, study commerce and finance and money and that definitely did not interest me.
1: Sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, it sounds terrible.
2: So the third option was the stream called Arts, which included everything from psychology to um, even the fine arts and performing arts so I was more interested in that stream I didn't know what I would do with that mm-hmm. but that was good enough for me to say let me take that risk and yeah study it and like I said I had parents that tried to talk to me about being practical and right. future thinking but were also very supportive and knew that I or had the confidence in me that I would do well no matter what I chose to do yeah so I think that was helpful in helping me make that choice. Yeah. yeah. And at that time I was also sort of navigating this um sort of an identity thing, right? About am I the kind of person who would succumb to pressure and conform with the majority just to keep up or am I confident enough to s- strike out and find my way even if that way is not entirely clear at the time. Yeah. And so I I think I chose the second. <laughs> And well no definitely regrets. and it seems like it worked out <laughs> it, in every did. Way. it did it did
1: and i i loved what you were saying before it was a building process of mm. your personality and when we were doing the pre-interview you said it mm-hmm. was almost a crystallizing of your personality mm. or you had this the beginning seed of maybe mm. taking a different route and then it just started to grow yeah. from there but yeah I also thought it was really interesting that a lot of the pressure that you were facing was in terms of questions, maybe like why? Mm. Or even that your mom had to have some preemptive <laughs> questions to tell people in your community, like, oh, she, you know, she could have done this, but she decided to do this. <laughs> so it was almost a battle against you know the Everyone mindset else, and people yes. saying, like, why? Like, why are you doing this? Why this yeah. isn't normal.
2: Exactly. So
1: was that. Almost helpful in pushing you towards your route? Or was it hard to like battle those questions day in, day out from people that matter to
2: Mm, this feels like therapy, Nate. (laughs) 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 I'm asking myself these questions now. Um yeah, so I think those questions helped me question myself also, right? So I knew I was gravitating towards certain things and saying no to other things, but when People asked me why I had to answer that for myself. So yes, it helped me, uh, like, like you said, crystallize my identity and my personality as someone who wants to do something different, wants to do something meaningful with purpose that interests her. Um, I actually got a lot of help. So I went to um, this mentor, this person I consider a mentor even today, and he gave me a book uh, that had these exercises to do some self-reflection and I remember writing out a personal, like, mission statement, vision statement. Mm-hmm. And that, again, helped me crystallize why I wanted to do all this, which was I knew I had these talents and skills and interests, but how do I bring that all together to make impact on others? So that was sort of my yeah. vision at the time. And I think I've stuck to it more or less. I've I've always made sure that there is a impact orientation in what i'm doing whether it's in school in my research at work yeah so that was one important tool i used i i did a bunch of aptitude tests and interest inventories and you know yeah. well, psychometric you in instruments right? and i ended so. up in i ended up in psychology after yeah. that this was just after school which again helped me point helped point me in the direction of what i was interested in and also told me that I had the aptitude to do a number of different things well, but happiness probably lies in where you your skills and your aptitude meet your interest. Yeah. Right. So that was all helpful. So the yeah, when people around me questioned me, I think that was largely useful. Yeah. <laughs> and gave me the push to answer that for myself.
1: I really, I really like that mm-hmm. because a lot of people. Uh, myself included, sometimes have a tendency to shut down Mm. when they ask quite hard questions. Mm. Like, oh, I don't know the answer to that. Mm. But I think that's a really useful mentality. Mm -hmm. You know, like, okay, they asked a really good question. Now, let's figure it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you did through all these tests and all of a sudden like, oh, you know, the psychology thing is pretty Mm -hmm. fun. Yeah. I'm going to, let's do that. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. And I spoke to a bunch of people and found out what psychologists do. I, I looked at some textbooks and so everything about it interested me. And I said, yeah, then yeah. Let me figure it out you know the next step the the career and everything will open up as I learn more, yeah, and that's how I approached it <laughs> yeah.
1: so that that's um and you described this period too as a big blossoming mm-hmm. too. you were surrounded by lots of people mm-hmm. from different countries You were getting a lot of different influences from around the world as well as surrounding yourself with people like you mm-hmm. that were into the arts and liked. psychology, sociology, fine arts Mm -hmm. whatever it was so Mm you are meeting a lot of people both back in the community that were challenging you but also encouraging you Mm -hmm. and for some reason that road led you to Akron, Ohio Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so for everyone listening, maybe some people don't even know where Akron, Ohio is so why would a girl from Bombay, (laughs) India go to Akron, (laughs) Ohio What was um, the thought process of going to the States, one, which mm-hmm. was a big jump, mm-hmm. but also to pick Akron?
2: Um, I can answer this. So <laughs> <laughs> After I graduated with my bachelor's in mm-hmm. psychology, I knew that I wasn't ready to start working yet. So I wanted to keep studying. I thought I wanted to specialize in industrial organizational psychology specifically. Okay. And the program i joined in mumbai university was very disappointing to put it mildly a yeah. uh, lot of us there were like 85 of us in that program and i think all of us knew more than most of the teachers really okay yeah <laughs> so it's, it was just so poor quality of um, teaching and outdated syllabus and textbooks and everything yeah. so i knew that wasn't going to cut it yeah and back home the options were other options were mostly MBA, like business school programs, which were, again, cutthroat, competitive. Um, I tried those also. I almost made it to some of the top schools. And then I wouldn't do really well in the group discussion segment because mm-hmm. okay. I don't interrupt people and I don't talk very loudly. And those are the things that they're looking for. So this is like
1: <laughs> a big process. This is a huge really process. they are looking for specific qualities of yes. people. Yes.
2: Yes, and I didn't fit into that mold of what an MBA (laughs) wanted, I mean, what they wanted an MBA student to look like or sound like. And along the way, I found out about this specialization called IO Psychology, and the U.S. seemed to be the only place which had programs specializing in this at the grad school level. So I actually looked at the U.S. news rankings, to look for what programs, uh, what universities offered that program. Yeah. And Akron was consistently ranked like four or five out of the top ten. So like, okay. it was great. So I, I, I did apply to, I think, five or six of the top ten programs. I said, if I'm going all the way to the U.S., I might as well do it in the right program. Yeah. And so I didn't have my safe schools. Like a lot of people talk about applying to your dream schools. You know, and then some safe schools and some sure fire. Yeah. I didn't have the last two. I just said, if I'm You're applying, I'm applying for the best ones. And so I applied to the, I think, five of the top 10. Yeah. And Akron was one of them. And it took me in. So I went. So I didn't know anything about Akron, Ohio, before yeah. I ended up there. This was
1: your first time in the U.S. And this well. was my
2: first time anywhere abroad. Anywhere abroad? Yes, and not traveled outside of India at all.
1: And not only that, you're going to study.
2: And I'm going to study with just a couple of suitcases worth of my possessions, and I end up in Akron. (laughs) And I didn't, again, on hindsight, I'm like, would I have done that now that I know what I know? Maybe not. (laughs) But when you're younger and more adventurous, you're willing to take risks, I think.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, it's cool. Once again, you have this. Okay, this school isn't working out for me, and then you did some research mm-hmm. and you looked at a couple of things. But you also made, you know, you didn't get too stuck in the weeds. Mm. You made okay. I'm gonna if I'm going to go to the U.S. I'm going to go to a top school. Yes. And like, just apply, just get them out there and see what happens. Yes, which I find too many people getting stuck in the details and like having to have everything perfect, especially for big moves like mm, this. Mm. Yeah, you know, have everything settled in the right city with mm. this in place and this in place. But you're like, ah, screw it. I, yeah. I'm going you to know, go to the top five, and if one accepts me, great. If not, then I'll figure it out.
2: Exactly. I feel like my priority at the time was the the learning and you know, going to get my master's at the time, which eventually became a PhD. Yeah. But um, so that trumped everything else, like where, what city, do I have people I know there? Yeah. None of that mattered at the time. Again, on uh, like in hindsight, I tell others this uh, now. If, if they came to me for advice, I talk to them about, make sure you have someone you know, at least in that state, that you yeah. can go to in emergency. So you have someone... To go to for the weekend.
0: Yeah. Or just figure
2: things out. Or figure things out to help you set set things up, your bank accounts, everything, right? But I got very lucky. The people who helped me in Akron were amazingly gracious. And so that's a different story. But yeah, I think I didn't know anyone in Ohio, forget, in Akron. Yeah. (laughs) I had no, you know, other students guiding me who had been through that before. So all of these things... Could have been avoided, probably, but but then I wouldn't have learned what I did.
1: Exactly. Sometimes yeah. you do need to struggle. Exactly. To really mm-hmm. learn and grow, mm-hmm. and it, this was a hard time for you in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think all big changes mm-hmm. there are big learning curves, mm-hmm. but I think it really helps you now. So let's fast yes. forward to you are now, and you're still living this unconventional lifestyle. You're now a freelancer. You used to have a corporate job and then quit, uh-huh. became a freelancer. And uh-huh. now I have clients in the U.S. and in India as uh-huh. well uh-huh. and are able to take a couple of days off and go around <laughs> and travel and do your trips, but still has this, you know, unfamiliar territory uh-huh. type style. But I think you draw on your experiences a bit. Is that, is that true? especially oh, like in the beginning where... You didn't go the conventional route mm-hmm. in the very beginning you had to do all the answer all these questions mm-hmm. and I know myself trying to go an unconventional route as well a lot of those questions appear internally mm-hmm. more than externally mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you kind of handle them the same way as you do an external question would you mm-hmm. agree with that
2: uh partly but you have to obviously be more honest with yourself when it comes from within yeah and with the external questions, sometimes you learn to just ignore folks that don't matter as much or just yeah. tell, tell them something to appease them. So with this recent change, for instance, that you talked about, my going independent and leaving my previous job, um, I took a very, again, rational approach. To most things, I, I have this very pros and cons sort of, <laughs> you know, what are the trade-offs, what are the risks yeah. involved kind of way of thinking of things. Yeah. Uh, And I did that for this. So I left my job when uh, I, at a time when I knew I could take that risk. And if going independent didn't work out, I still had enough uh, saved up that I could draw on that money for a few months, even a year if I needed to, and continue with my current lifestyle. Um, So I took that risk knowing that at that time I didn't have any home loan payment due, or I don't have a family, so no kids to worry about or any of that, right? So this was as good a time as any. And I knew that if I waited any longer, I'd probably be too nervous to do it, say, you know, in a few years' time. I wouldn't be so open to taking risks after a few years. And it worked out, luckily.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of fear within that, so... Mm -hmm in deciding to pull the trigger. So Mm -hmm. was there a day, or can you take us back to when you decided to quit your job or even Mm -hmm. when you were quitting your job? Because when I quit my job, it was very, like, I knew it was the right thing, but I was, you know. Scary, yes. It's scary. I'm getting rid of my safety net. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how much rational planning you Mm -hmm. do, it's Mm -hmm. still a little bit terrifying Mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. So how how did you pull the trigger? How did you actually, was it? You know, okay, I'm just gonna do it, mm-hmm. and like screw it. Like you got to a point and said, okay, I'm just gonna jump off that cliff, or no. did you have any other strategies to actually go and do it?
2: It wasn't impulsive. I don't think I've uh, I've made any big decisions that way, uh, where I'm just pushed to a point where I quit or anything. Yeah, it was a it was a process of sort of unfolding in a way so I decided that if by the end of that year I hadn't gotten a promotion or if they hadn't changed my role because that was part of it I was stagnating in my job at the time I wasn't seeing any career path ahead I still love the organization I worked for I think you know they do amazing work and I was enjoying what I was doing but I wasn't seeing any growth potential or any recognition for the work I was doing. Yeah. So I made myself a few deals. I said a few milestones that if if this happened, you know, it's a tally mark uh, in this column. So quit, no quit.
1: (laughs) Almost like an algorithm. Almost like an algorithm. Yes,
2: very much, very much. And so enough things happened or didn't happen that said, that made me say this is the time for me to take the plunge (laughs) So it wasn't an impulsive decision. I kind of had a (laughs) set of decision points that led me to it. Yeah.
1: I think that's really a really good idea Mm -hmm. for anyone Mm -hmm. because uh, we leave a lot to our impulsives in the universe and fate or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's how people get stuck as well. it is almost like you took control by setting up your rules. Yes. And be like this is what's going to happen if this happens. Yes. This is what's going to happen yes. if this happens when you you play the game in your favor, then you would like tip to the top.
2: <laughs> in a, a way, in a way. And I would push it, you know, I would I spoke to the CEO very directly, mm-hmm. which for a lot of people would be scary and would be like not advisable. And I told her pretty much, you know, if I don't see things moving my way, I'm sorry, but I have to Go try my own thing for a while because it's not working out here. Yeah. Now, that's a pretty silly move in in many people's books. Like, you wouldn't want to yeah, I <laughs> do that. give your CEO an ultimatum. But I did because I knew her. I loved her. You know, she's amazing. Yeah. So, we had a good relationship that I could tell her that this is what's going on in my mind.
1: Yeah.
2: And so, in a way, I tipped the <laughs> scales in favor of my leaving.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's fascinating. And I, th- I think mm-hmm. that's um, something that everyone should take to heart, you know. <laughs> start, start playing the game of your life. Don't let mm-hmm. other people take control because mm-hmm. that's how you get in trouble.
2: Yeah, and I'm a firm believer in the fact that no path is the wrong path. Like, you may have some regrets, but everything you've done has taught you something and has led you to the point you're at today. Yeah. So... I don't, I really don't think there are mistakes or regrets in anyone's lives. There's just maybe more difficult ways to get to where you are. Yeah. (laughs) That's how I see it.
1: (laughs) I like it a lot. It's true. They're building blocks. Every experience is a building block. Absolutely. something new. Absolutely. And I think that's a really good way to start to wrap up the episode. And I have one final question for you because I know this is, big problem for a lot of people uh-huh. all over the world is okay. you know what to do next how do I pull the trigger what how do I get to this next happy dream lifestyle and uh-huh. it, for people that it, it is a big problem with a lot of variables and uh-huh. a lot of resources that you have to manage but uh-huh. if someone was sitting here right now uh-huh. and struggling with the you know i 'm not sure to quit my job or uh-huh. i 'm just like i 'm not sure what to do next. Uh-huh and I feel kind of directionless and my society is trying to push me mm. in this direction, mm. but I don't want to do that. What would you say to someone that is facing mm. those challenges?
2: Wow. Um, I would say find people to talk to, so different kinds of people. One kind is you know, people like role models or mentors, people who have done that before that you can learn from. The second kind of people to talk to are people like in your friend circle and, you know, your peer group, your family, maybe people that will just support you no matter what, mm-hmm. because you need that kind of moral and emotional support going through these transitions. Yeah. Um, and thirdly, just very practically speaking, find people in your business network or in your career, your profession to talk to. That can tell you about options so uh, you know this sounds very much like talk to people yeah <laughs> it's my biggest advice and perhaps it is and it's a lot of what i didn't do that i'm telling others to do now yeah i wish i had talked more to you know uh, people who had done this before to learn some shortcuts around navigating certain things but anyway so yeah i my biggest not advice, but recommendation is to just find social support, find professional networks and find advisors, mentors, people who would make introductions for you, open doors for you, yeah. advocate for you. Yeah. So, yeah, that I would like be my I like it advice.
1: because it's, mm-hmm. a, it's more well-rounded oh. than mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do. I, I think the social network mm-hmm. is just as important as the business, yes. which is just as important as... Role models to, mm-hmm. to you know your local bartender. You know it, yeah. it's a a more well rounded community is yeah is good because there are a lot of aspects to life. Life's hard.
2: It is, and you know through all this um, dialogue, you might discover that maybe you're better off where you are, and you want to postpone that decision for a few years, maybe. Yeah. Or there's no better time to do it than right now. Exactly. You you don't know what you're going to find out. Exactly. And. I think you need a lot of mirrors, not just your own thoughts when you're making this decision. Ooh, I
1: like that. That's
2: what you people You need
1: lots are. of different mirrors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and talking, just talking it out can yes. be really, really helpful. And this is coming from one of the most badass psychologists in Bangalore, India. <laughs> so, RT, thank you for coming on the show. Thank this you, Nate. This has been really fun.
2: This has been fun. <laughs> and
1: check out all of the pictures and more on your Instagram, which is RTD2. And I will link that in the show description. <laughs> so, you're going to find RT, that's where you find her. And thanks awesome. for coming on. Thank you, Nate. <laughs>
0: Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio and thanks again R.T. Shamsunda for coming on the show. You are the best tour guide of all time and we can't wait to see you again. Keep up to date on everything going on in the big sabbatical on Instagram at Nathan.Wanders and on the blog of my partner in crime Jackie Gishbacher at Gish, that's G-I-S-H out of water.com. Check out the links in the show description for more information. Special thanks to Charlie Milliken for all of the Oyster Jams. Check out on spotify or at CharlieMilliken.com. that's m-i-l-l-i-k-i-n don't forget to support the show on patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n at patreon.com forward slash oyster world radio for only five dollars a month you get all of the behind the scenes plus some unique travel tips so do not miss out thanks again for tuning into oyster world radio we'll be back in two weeks but until then this is nathan lieberman signing off I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about our time that's gone by It's time for a change in my day to day scene Time to turn around from that clock Face the mirror and change me Whoa.